0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: It is the Eagle Hour, and we're glad you're with us wherever you're listening this afternoon. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to be getting to that very shortly. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. Glad you're with us this afternoon. A great guest on the show about to join us, Chase Scott, former baseball star for the Golden Eagles, and now a coach down at Mississippi Community College, or Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. So we're glad to have... Him on the show, opening segment sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue Pit. Proud supporters of this show and uh, and Southern Miss Athletics. We hope you enjoy their food seven days a week. They're cooking it in-house. They'll deliver it to you. I think you can eat in the dining room again now uh, with reduced capacity. But nevertheless, the food is always good, and we're grateful for them and their support of the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty, Luke Johnson from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. Rainy, stormy Hattiesburg. Luke, uh, how are things over there in the beautiful city of Laurel?
0: It's about to uh, fall. I see. I'm looking west right now out of the studio here in downtown Laurel, and the clouds are building up. And uh, yeah, it should be raining here pretty pretty quick.
1: Good deal. Well, it's raining pretty hard here. Chase Scott, uh, as our first guest of the day, Chase was a really a great utility player, left fielder, third baseman, first baseman, had a 21-game hitting streak his junior year at uh, Southern Miss, a high school All-American, junior college standout, great player for Southern Miss, and now a coach at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Chase Scott, welcome to the Eagle Hour.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, we're thrilled to have you, I guess, uh you like a lot of baseball coaches around the country, uh, not enjoying uh, the COVID nineteen situation very much.
2: Uh, no, sir. I mean, I mean, I'm glad we taking the you know the pre- precautionary measures, but right when you think we were about to get rolling, everything was taken away from us.
1: Right. Tell us how that happened. How you guys learned about it, and, and what what occurred, Chase.
2: Um, I guess I remember. You know, you started hearing. The stuff about the you know basketball, you know March Madness getting taken away, and things of that nature, and you know the fans um, not being able to come to the stadiums. And we were at practice one day. Um, we t- we were told we could practice. Then we get the guys on the field stretching. Um, the AD and the president were meeting. Um, and as soon as Coach Stig got the call, and right when we started stretching, we had to pull them off the field and. I was going right into our spring break, and they said it was about to be a two-week, you know, 14-day quarantine or whatever it may have been at the time. And so, I mean, we're being optimistic. We're telling the guys, you know, treat it as like you're, you know, a second Christmas break, you know, stay in shape, run, hit, throw, do all those things. So when you are able to come back, hit the ground running, and then I guess about a month in, you know, not of the all the guys not being back on campus, I mean, I guess reality set in and, you know, we figured that baseball season, was, baseball season was over with,
1: right? And uh, tough, I know, at a junior college, it had to be tough for the kids that were going to enjoy their sophomore year.
2: It was, um, and I know. Luckily, we had a lot of our guys, you know, signed somewhere and going. And for the for the guys who weren't, we were, you know, we're still trying to find places for them to go. But I mean. If that doesn't work out, I mean, we were, we're welcoming them back, you know, with open arms because, I mean, at the end of the day, I know for me, um, my sophomore year was a big deal. For me, I had, you know, I was injured my freshman year in junior college. Then my sophomore season, I wasn't signed. I didn't sign to Southern Miss until late. So a lot of these guys, you know, they, they weren't given that chance to, you know, get that offer that they were looking for later on, you know, in the spring season.
1: Hmm. And so what happens to those kids, Chase? What do they do?
2: Um, as far, I mean, right now, I guess you kind of see, you know, what your tough kids are. You know, I mean, I know we have a couple kids coming back and they're eager to get after it and, you know, show up and win a spot. Um, I guess, you know, with them returning, you, you got to kind of, you know, paint a picture for them, you know, whether it's good or bad, but you have to, you know, you have to give them something to work towards. And, you know, it's like, this is what we, you know, this is what we see you're doing. You know, we see that you're going to be able to generate for this team and stuff like that. But, and a lot of those kids that we've talked to, I mean, they're they're wanting to come back and do those things because I think with any with any baseball player or any athlete, they don't you know, they don't want to be told their time's done. So a lot of those kids, you know, whether it be, you know, hey, I want to go to Southern Miss or I wanna you know, go to old Miss or State, is look, I just wanna play another two years of baseball, you know, after next year and I think it's kinda of opened up their eyes to more options.
1: Right. Luke.
0: Chase, thanks so much for being on. We've talked uh, about junior college baseball, particularly with the academic front, because a lot of your guys will have done all the credits they needed um, to go on to a, a D1 college, and now their year's stripped out from under them, so they got to f- figure out on the academic side. On the scholarship side, because we really haven't discussed that too much, has, has there been any guidance from the NJCAA about how the scholarship situation is going to work out from incoming freshmen and guys that will come back for another year?
2: Um, As far as, like, we'll we'll be able to honor, like, whatever they're on, like, so if a sophomore is on scholarship, we're going to be able to honor that scholarship, um, and they won't count towards our roster limit, but if that sophomore wants to leave, say Mississippi Gulf Coast and goes to another junior college, that player will count against their scholarships and roster signs, so if, you know, if we have a... Like I want to say, we can have 35 guys on our on the roster, but if we have 38 and three of those are sophomores that are returning, um, they don't count against our roster size. I want to say that's correct.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of a confusing situation for everybody. Scott Berry and the guys in Hattiesburg too, or everybody's just kind of scratching their head, wondering. You know, you, you kind of kick the can down the street mentally. At the same time, you got to pick it up and say, no, we got to deal with this because it's it's kids' lives you're dealing with.
2: Exactly, and I mean it. Is this? I mean, if it was any, uh, you know, any sport that this happened to, you know, it'd be it'd be a big deal. But I mean, I've, I've you know looked at some articles on Twitter, and I guess you know Kendall Rogers said it best. If any any coaches that can deal, you know, with shuffling scholarships and shuffler, shuffling roster sizes, it will be baseball coaches.
1: Well, no question, uh, no question about that. What kind of team did you guys shape up to have this year? What What was it looking like for you?
2: Um, um, honestly, it was. I think we were trending in the right direction. Um, we won a double header against Nunez, and it, it kind of seemed like right when the guys were starting to buy in, and we got off to a slow start. But I, I like to say we finished strong. Um, and it just kind of like right when, you know, everybody was pulling on the same side of the rope, you know, the season was ended. So it was kind of hard to tell. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had a lot of guys step in and they bought into our system. You know, I, I know how it is for, you know, a player having to go through, you know, a coaching change and things like that. And, you know, it's, you hear one thing for a full year, then, you know, you're hearing something the next year. And just hard to, you know, just trust them and, uh, fully buy in but those those guys did, and they did a great job and it just sucked that um our season was cut short. I know I can pretty much speak for everybody in on that manner
1: right you know chase too you you seem to go right into coaching when you finished your play at Southern miss. you seem to uh make that you, you seem to make that leap pretty quickly. Am I right about that
2: uh, yes sir um i've definitely had a journey to get to where i'm at now um I know I was at Gulfport High School for a year, got to coach with uh, Coach Mac. He, um, he kind of, sh- you know, showed me the ropes. Um, and me and him had a discussion at the end of the year, and me and him talked about, you know, about going into uh, college coaching. And I also had some guidance from uh, Coach Kai. you know, who's now at Texas A&M. Me and him talked about it, and that's when I ended up going to East Mississippi. Mm-hmm. was uh got the coach with Coach Rose there. He was at you know, won a lot of games at Meridian, won a lot of games at East Miss and then when my time was up there. I was at North Alabama, you know, last year and did um enjoyed it there, was back in the division one level. Um learned a lot from that coaching staff up there and luckily Coach Sigpin decided he needed you know, when he took the job here, um he gave me an opportunity to come down and be a part of his staff, and I couldn't be more excited to join his staff.
1: Right. I'm going to guess you learned different things from each of those coaches that you worked with. Am I correct?
2: Yes, sir. Um, I did. And um, it's kind of – I guess I I kind of look at it, you know, as a positive thing since I moved around, you know, this is my four, you know, fourth place in four years. I get to pick a lot of guys' brains. I um, got to meet a lot of different people. Um, got to, you know, enjoy a lot of different coaching styles. Um, you know, a lot of things I can choose to keep or choose not to keep the way I want to coach. And and I, I've enjoyed it.
1: Hmm. Did you get to keep all the uniforms, Chase?
2: Um, I'm still working on that. I kind of want to <laughs> keep, um, you know, keep a little uniform collection of where, where I've been the past couple of years.
1: Right. And I'm guessing you've still got some of that black and gold stuff that you wore down here.
2: Oh, yes, sir. Yes,
1: sir. Yeah. We're going to hold you over for the other segment. Uh, my clock isn't working, so I've got somebody remotely going to take us into the break. And uh, so we we may run out of time. We want to talk to you a little bit about your career at Southern Miss, that 21-game hitting streak. Uh, now we may get interrupted by a break here, but, uh, you know, when you're on a winning streak like that, a hitting streak, does, does every game, after you've... Well, I tell you what, I want you to hold that thought because I hear the break music now. 21-game hitting trick. I want you to talk about that when you come back and also uh, the really outstanding career that you had at Southern Miss. Is that good? Yes, sir. Sounds good. All right, we're talking to Chase Scott, everybody, who's now a coach at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, former slugger and infielder and outfielder for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Eagle Hour will continue right after this.
0: Southern Miss to the top to the top You're tuned in to the Eagle
1: Hour Welcome back to the Eagle Hour glad you're with us this afternoon Bob and Luke from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg Michael Morgan's behind the scenes saving us Luke uh, with his technical uh, wizardry I
0: had nothing to do with it that was <laughs> so, all you I had So we're to all do back
1: on track uh, thanks to uh, the absent Michael Mergens. this segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart and campusbookmart.net you can order your stuff online at CampusBookMart.net, or you can start shopping again at the biggest store for Southern Miss swag on the planet, Campus Bookmart on Hardy Street, right across from the Southern Miss campus. Kelly Sander will join us later in the show, but right now we're talking to Chase Scott, former Southern Miss baseball star, now at the Gulf Coast Community College, Mississippi Gulf Coast. All right, Chase, I got interrupted by the break, but your junior year, you, you get on a 21-game hitting streak. It's one of the top 10 hitting streaks in Southern Miss baseball history. Uh, so I'm wondering, w- w- when you get on that streak and, and game after game after game starts mounting up, do you think about that more and more when you come up to the plate, or were you able to just block that streak out of your mind?
2: Um, I guess – it all depends on how how the game's going. Um, I mean, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. But I didn't know I had a hitting streak until about game fifteen. Um, well, I think we ended up playing Marshall, and I did a you know post game interview with John Cox on the radio, and he was like, "I don't want to jinx you or anything, but that's fifteen in a row." And I had no idea. So I guess up until game you know game fifteen, I was just up there trying to win ball games and do my part at the plate. But um, I guess from that point on, they kind of, you know, if I was over three or if I had a couple walks or something like that, it was kind of in the back of my mind, like I could, you know, maybe not pressing, but that little man definitely jumps on your shoulder and starts whispering in your ear, you got to get a hit right here.
1: <laughs> was it a relief when the when the twenty second game came around and you didn't get a hit?
2: Um, I guess, but I mean, I guess I'm at the same time I wanted to see how long you know right. I could let it let it run cuz I remember um uh, what the uh was it Garrett Tuttles for FIU they ended up having like what 60 game or 59 game hitting streak you uh-huh. know rolled in pretty much two years and I mean I know all good things have to come to an end but I wasn't ready for it too but I know I can I was over 4 or no I was over 3 against UAB it was the first game of the conference tournament that year
1: but hmm. when, it, when it ended well, I think any time that you you have a record that's one of the top ten in a category in a storied baseball program like Southern Miss, you got to feel pretty good about that, Chase. Uh, yes,
2: sir, I do. Um, I had a lot of guys that protected me in the lineup, you know, from Tim Lentz, uh, Dylan Bredow, Connor Barron, you know, Chucky Robinson, you know, all those guys that, you know, either hit in front of me or, or behind me, you know, I think they wanted to kind of, you know, pitch to me so they wouldn't have to get to them.
1: Well, you named those players out, so obviously you played on a very talent-rich baseball team. Did you ever find yourself looking around and going, my word, there are a lot of good players on this team?
2: Yes, sir. Uh, I think that all started, you know, when I was in junior college down at Chipola until Southern Miss. I was, you know, blessed to play with a bunch of, you know, baseball-gifted athletes. And, you know, not only that, but they were smart, smart guys, too, that, you know, you can pick their brains. You know, you can talk to, you know, A-B to A-B um and, and really have conversations about the game and that's you know that helped me become a uh, a better player as well.
1: Pretty pretty cool to play on a on a program like USMs, am I right about that?
2: Yes sir. I mean I know uh, the fan support there is, you know, second to none. I mean they're unbelievable. You know, it's be a Tuesday, you know, Tuesday night game against UNO and there'd be two thousand people in the stands, you know, it feels like a Friday night game.
1: Mhm. Right, pretty uh, pretty wonky atmosphere at times, too. Kind of like a football. We've we've talked to a lot of players that when they first came to Southern Miss, they were a little aghast at the atmosphere in the Pete their first few games out. Was that the case with you?
2: It was. I remember it. uh, We were playing Murray State, and I got to start at third. I just remember just kind of like taking it in in the first inning and kind of, you know, I've had butterflies when I play, but not like that.
1: (laughs) A few in your belly, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. All right, Luke. Take you back
0: to uh, April twenty eighth, two thousand fifteen. You guys are taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide in the Hoover Met, six to two. Uh, the final Eagles win. You struck out the first time. The second time you came up, you hit a bomb. What was it like being able to play? Uh, you know, and you guys beat Ole Miss and Mississippi State in there too. The 15 team, uh, I guess everybody remembers the 16 team because of the, really the last play of the season. But, man, that 15 team, you start looking at that lineup that night. Uh, Bordeaux, Braley, you, Tim Lynch, Daniel Keating was in there, Russell was in there, Michael Sterling, I'm surprised he didn't get hit by a pitch that night. Crazy good <laughs> lineup. Do you remember that game?
2: Yes, sir, I do. Um, it was wet. I remember it rained on us all the way up there. We only got to play seven. But, um, yeah, I remember striking out my first AB, and I was kind of searching mentally. And I remember Kai grabbed me and was like, "Boy, quit thinking and just hit." And sure enough, I quit thinking, and everything else just kind of fell into place. But um, I just remember, like, I think we went up early, or it was kind of, I think we went up early. I think Alabama hit a home run, and anyways, we tacked on a couple runs in, in in the middle of the game, and but we just felt in control the whole game and i don't know i guess that that's when everything kind of took off for us um because like right in those couple of weeks i think during my hidden streak it was um we rattled off like 21 you know wins as well yeah. Um uh, and that's that really put us in a position you know to have a chance to make a regional that year
0: you, we we're looking at uh, where you played in the field, and and I'm a I like utility guys. When I think of the utility player, I think of Ben Zobrist, I think of Craig Council, I think of Sean Figgins, old school here before you were born. Mark Lemke from the uh, the Atlanta Braves. How did that? You know, most guys they they draw a circle around themselves in the field. This is my position. I'm going to take it. But as a utility guy, man, you're starting in the outfield. You're starting in the infield. Is that something you kind of wore as a badge? That was kind of your game.
2: Um. I like to think so. I know I start off at third, then um, they moved me around, and I guess I guess Coach Barry had a confidence, you know, in me to get it done in multiple positions. And um, I mean, it was fun. I mean, I, I got to have a lot of gloves, which was positive. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think one point in my junior year, I had a third baseman's glove, an outfielder's glove, and a first baseman's glove on my bag. Um, <laughs> But there's definitely a lot of shuffling in practice. I'd almost have to ask those Barry, you know, every day where do you, where did he want me, you know, doing, you know, either infield work or out, you know, fly balls or anything like that. But most of the time it usually I worked with outfielders, but I had to get all my ground balls in, uh, either before or after practice.
1: So Chase, uh you're down on the Gulf Coast now. Uh you, you hope to be there a while and, and continue your career coaching, am I correct? yes sir so yes, sir. i mean what, what does the future hold right now uh so you your season it gets so interrupted do do you just have to erase the year start over next year at the same time that you would normally start over do do you get any additional time on the field perhaps because so much was lost this year
2: um honestly i i'm not sure i know i mean for us, I mean, I hope they add games in the fall, you know, and extend practice mm-hmm. times and things like that. Um, I'm not sure if they are or not, but I think we're just gonna have to hit the ground running. Whatever they throw at us, we just got to take it and run with it. Um, I think what helps us is, you know, the freshmen, you know, that are returning, uh, the new class we have coming in, and the addition of the sophomores that we have, you know, returning as well. I think it's gonna be a good combination of guys that know what we expect as a coaching staff. And, you know, this is, this will be our second year in mm-hmm. um, here at Mississippi Gulf Coast. And we're just going to hit the ground running, get these guys prepared, you know, mentally and physically for another 46-game season.
1: Right. i got one more question for you. You played with Michael Sterling. I heard Luke mention that. That's correct, right? I did. I did. All right. So here's your chance just between us three guys. No one else will ever know how you answered this. Okay. Did did Michael Sterling ever turn around to you guys and go, "Watch, I'm fixing to step in front of one. I'm getting on base."
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: he did. There yes, we go. He did.
0: There <laughs> <laughs> we go, Luke. We've won. How that. often? How <laughs> often was that, Chase? Um, it wasn't as
2: it wasn't it wasn't as often as you would think. But there'd be times where he's like, you could kind of tell. He's like, "Yeah, I gotta go. I'm going to take one." <laughs> he was like I'm, I'm, I'm kicking, I'm kicking the white line out, and I'm getting, you know, my toes are going to be on the line.
1: <laughs> did you ever yeah. see him without a shirt on? He must have had bruises all over his body at times. Chase,
2: <laughs> I think every time he got hit, it was in that elbow guard or like
1: right in the meat of the shoulder. Or I got you. So he had it down pat. I mean, did is he, what you're saying? Did he
0: like? Did he Phantom dance that at practice? Did he practice that? Did <laughs> he get McCarty or somebody to peg him? I mean, how did that work?
2: I'm not sure. I think he just, uh, before the game, somebody snuck a bullseye on his back.
1: <laughs> uh. He took a few, didn't he, Chase? Oh, he
2: did. <laughs> he
1: had a great shortstop, too. He was a great player. Oh, he was no unbelievable. Point. All right, buddy. He, he was fun to play with. Great conversation. You were fun to talk to, man. We appreciate you coming on the show. And, uh, hey, we're, we're happy for your coaching career, man. We'll be following you, and I hope you have a lot of success.
2: Yes, sir. I greatly appreciate
1: it. All right. Chase Scott, everybody. Thanks, Chase. Another great young kid from Southern Miss Baseball. Just nothing better to talk about Luke Johnson than Southern Miss Baseball and so many characters through the years on that team. They're a riot, but they're the funnest uh, to watch in the world for sure. No question. We'll be right back. Kelly Santer, he's not too much fun, but we're going to bring him back on the Eagle Hour. miss
0: to the top good hanging with chase scott former southern miss utility man was on that 2016 conference usa tournament championship uh team bob the one that uh, chucky robinson applied that last tag on rice it's got to be good being that chase scott it. looking back over the years and say we beat rice
1: well, he played at a
0: sweet and, time uh, they played a sweet time, and that's when uh, the tournament was at uh, the Pete. So, uh, pretty right. cool hanging out with Chase Scott and wish him all the best down at Mississippi Gulf Coast. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by Four Street Bar and Grill, located on Fourth Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Check out Facebook and uh, see what they're serving on that eight ninety five lunch. It comes with a free drink. Swing by and see our good buddy Slade White and his crew over at Four Street Bar and. Grill. It is I'm almost raining here in Laurel, pouring on Bob at the First Bank Studio in Hattiesburg. Kelly J. Uh, Santer, immune from all that Be by where he lives. But uh, Kelly, how's your, uh, what day is it? Wednesday going. How's it going?
3: You know, I, I enjoyed the interview you guys had with, with Chase there, and he was talking about Michael Sterling getting beaned all the time. And I was sitting back there thinking about my baseball career. And I was, and I, you know, my baseball career, I was never pegged once. And I and I texted my son and I said, Can you believe that? I never got pegged once and my son texted back and he said, You have to be in a game and at bat <laughs> to be to be
1: officially pegged. Look
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so That's I a very good point.
0: <laughs> I looked <laughs> it up during the it. commercial break. Michael uh-huh. Sterling holds he so in the career the record book of like uh, season leaders in the hit by pitch category, he's three times in the top ten, okay? <laughs> So this, it's it's pretty cool to get one spot in the top ten. Three of his four years at Southern Miss, he's in the top ten record books by hit by yeah, pitch.
1: I think he led the. I think he led the entire NCAA one year, if I'm not mistaken, in hit pitches.
0: And
3: I'm sure. And I'm sure every Fresh, pitcher that faced him said, "Well, that's what you get for being such a good hitter, right? <laughs> if, if you stunk, we wouldn't have to hit you." So right? the
1: secret was revealed to guys that he'd sometimes turn around and. Told him what was about to come before he, we went up, went up to the plate. So uh, he went up there knowing what it was next to happen.
3: And they never believed it, did they?
1: No, and I got to tell you, you got to admire the toughness of a kid that's willing to take 90 mile an hour hardballs in his shoulder and his arms to get on base. You got to have well, some told, respect I, for that.
3: Well, I told you guys my We Want Santa story, right?
1: Uh, no. 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 Didn't I? Yes. Oh, did he? Oh, he tells us okay. so many. Well, never mind. Never it's hard mind to then. keep up with him. Have you got any news today, Kelly? Or are you just lounging out at the estate and, you know, have all the hired help inside? Because, it's, I don't know, you probably make Ernesto work rain or shine outside. Am I correct?
3: Well, he worked for smooth and he got the hedges trimmed and the lawn mowed uh, before I had him take my barbells up to the attic.
0: Uh, <laughs> when's the last time you picked up a barbell
3: <laughs> that's why he took them up to the attic Luke.
1: he had to uh, dust them first
3: <laughs> and i and i gotta tell you before i do have some news bob but i got a kick out of luke when he was talking to chase in yeah this was before you were born i'm going now you know how it feels luke right you
1: know? correct um, right
3: luke can finally i was i was talking you know, about
0: mark Limpke in the early 90s okay that's still not that old
3: no, I, I know, but the phrase coming out of your mouth is,
0: you know, mm, you
3: were, like you're some grand old man. But at right. any rate, right. at any rate. right? Um,
1: do you have any news, Santa, or we just bring you on the show for nothing?
3: No, more okay. COVID-19, more ways of, uh, of dealing with COVID-19. One of the big 12 schools uh, whose season ticket sales, of course, were, were very, very slow, to say the least, um, because of the unsurety of what might be going on this fall uh, made a determination and a decision that they were only going to to have fans this fall, but they were only going to fill their stadium to half capacity. The stadium seats 60,000 people, so they've already announced that a maximum of 30,000 people would be allowed to see the home games in person. But as a way to spur on season ticket holders. The athletic director announced at a press conference yesterday that the only people that would be guaranteed seats at the home football games would be season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's, you know, brilliant. You know if, if you, if you know, if you're not blowing smoke and you really are only going to have 30,000, Now, this school had already sold 22,000 season tickets. But they think now, because they've announced that the only people that would be guaranteed a seat uh, would be the first 8,000 more people to call in and buy season tickets. They were not going to sell any single game tickets. If the people who bought season tickets didn't happen to show up to games, oh well. It would just make social distancing a little easier. But you talk about a creative way. Right to to make sure that people buy season tickets if they have any inkling that they want to go to any of the home games they have to buy a season ticket they, they're the only ones that will be guaranteed a seat how about that
1: now let me ask you this kelly can you could you take that philosophy to high schools in mississippi would that be the answer to the high school dilemma where you could play high school football when when it's scheduled to start but you would only you would only allow for half of your stands to be filled. Could they do that and still afford to play?
3: Yeah, I would I would think so, and I think that's a great idea. You know, you know, the little the little clicker the little clicker counters, you know, that they have at movie theaters or at church mm-hmm. when they're counting attendance. You have one admission gate and as people come in, you know, you, you click that. That's a way that you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would be responsible, you know. Um, and of course, the, the only downside to that is you'd have people showing up for a seven o'clock game at you know a lot earlier than they would normally. But this is this is not a normal year, right? Um, and we get that question still. You know, do you, do you think there'll be high school football this fall? There won't, if there can't be any fans, because they've got bills to pay. You got to pay referees. You got to pay schoolkeepers. You got to pay emergency personnel, security, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that comes out of gate receipts, mm-hmm. you know. And if there's no fans there, you, there's no sense in opening up a concession stand where a lot of these booster clubs and uh, and all of these high schools, whether you're a one A or a six A, you're operating on a shoestring budget. So every source of revenue you have to be able to have at your access in order to have a game. But I think that I think that's something that could certainly be kicked around. Yeah, uh, is okay. Whatever our fire code seating capacity is, we're going to limit it. At
1: half. Right, and for colleges, if you if you limited uh, your attendance to to half of your stadium, then obviously you could sell tickets strategically, right. so that people are just naturally spaced out in the stadium because of where their ticket assignment is. Right,
3: even even if the ones and that's what that's what they were and the school I was talking about was Iowa State. I didn't want to mention it because we always seem to talk about Iowa State on the Southern show, but um, but it would be a way now now where it would be problematic would these schools like Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, you know Alabama, some of these schools that have that everybody in the stadium is a season ticket holder, right? You know, I mean, some of these schools actually have waiting lists, uh, people waiting for somebody to die so that they can get a season ticket, right? You know, so I, I don't know what you would do there, and I don't right. know how they're going to handle what, their crowd situation.
0: What? What about students? That's the biggest thing, especially at, at some bigger schools. You're talking. I mean, SEC, and like you said, you know, Big 12 schools, you may have 10,000, 12,000 students that come to it. I mean, think about LSU. And if you want to space people out, I mean, that, that's a big deal.
3: And the students, the students uh, that, that are particularly aggressive about you know, football and basketball, even back in the black and white days when I was up at, at Iowa State, they did limit the number of students, which is why we had to camp out for individual game tickets, you know, when we play Kansas or something like that, we'd have to be out in the snow in tents in a line because they were going to limit the number of students that could go. And I don't see any reason why you couldn't do that here, too. If, and if you really want to go, you'll get there. You know, right. you'll get to the game earlier, you'll make plans. But but I think I think mm-hmm. it was just a great idea in order to get people, you know, look, if you're thinking about coming to a game at all, And we're playing this school and that school and this school and that school. You know, we're not playing Ole Miss. You know, South Alabama is. (laughs) In Mobile. (laughs) Yes. But but if you're going, you know, we're playing – have I mentioned that, by the way? Anyway, if you're playing this school and that school and this school and you want to see that game, you're going to have to have a season ticket. But we're also going to throw in priority for, you know, basketball, for example, if you weren't a basketball season ticket holder before. So it'll be interesting to see how this experiment that uh, Iowa State has come up with, that the only people that will be guaranteed a seat will be season ticket holders. You think
1: other Big 12 schools might follow suit, Kelly? Is that is that a conference-wide issue, or is that something just Iowa State has come up with?
3: Well, Iowa State was the first one to, to pull the trigger on this. Jamie Pollard, their athletic director. Now, again, Bob, you got schools in the Big 12, including Texas and Oklahoma, where most, most of the people that are in the stadium are season ticket holders anyway. Right. So I don't know if you'd have to go to a lottery system there saying that, okay, if your name is A through N, you guys get to come to this game or and that's mm-hmm. very simplistic, but you know, and then O through Z you come to this game. I don't know how you do that, or if it'd be first come, first serve and we're gonna shut it off at such and such a time. But again, then you're gonna get ridiculous you know, people in line on Friday afternoon, you know, for a Saturday game. I don't know. I don't know. But
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. Who's, who's uh, Ole Miss playing, Kelly? Who, who are they who playing? Who's that, Kelly?
3: I don't know the rest. I can tell you a little bit about their 2028 and 2029
0: schedule. <laughs> where, where are they
3: playing? <laughs> they're playing at Mobile.
1: Who, who's in Mobile?
3: South Al. Can you believe that? And South believe me, Al. I'm going to try to track down Ole Miss's travel plan strategically to see when they're coming through Hattiesburg.
1: We'll be there to greet them. Is that what you're saying, Kelly?
3: With a special treat. (laughs) We'll be right
1: back.
0: to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Last segment of the Wednesday Eagle Hour brought to you by Toyota of Hattiesburg, located on Highway 98 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. If you're looking for a new ride, stop by. Check out a 4Runner. If you're looking for a truck, Tacoma, Tundra, and, of course, uh, some of the best-selling Camrys and Corollas, uh, the best-selling cars out there. They're all Toyota, and they're all found at Toyota of Hattiesburg in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. couple of news and notes, guys. Southern Miss track and field star Eric Richards is an indoor All-American today in the high jump. Uh, Was announced that late yesterday. He was set to compete in the NCAA championships uh, before it was canceled one day uh, before because of COVID 19. Eric, an outstanding. Uh, star for the track and field program with Coach John Stewart, uh, guys. This is the 21st All American honor that John Stewart has had in six years, uh, an athlete under him. So uh, congratulations to uh, Eric in that uh, award. Also, Southern Miss uh, basketball gets another commit, guys. Wyoming Cowboys forward, Tyler Mormon transfers uh, to Southern Miss. Jay Ladner gets another big man, guys. 6'10, 220 pounds, originally out of Mableton, Georgia. Tyler Mormon, the newest Golden Eagle basketball player. Pretty impressive recruiting class, guys.
3: Boys, for, for a kid from Georgia to go all the way to Wyoming, I'll bet you part of that, you know, not only wanting to play for Coach Ladner, but part of that you would think at that age is getting a little bit closer to home. Right. Do you think? Right. Right. You know, the Southern kids tend to, you know, when you talk to college baseball coaches, particularly the ones north of the Mason-Dixon line, I'll ask them, I'll say, how come you don't have any more kids from the South? You know, because the kids from the South get to play baseball pretty much all year round. And just about every one of those Northern coaches says the same thing. They say, Kelly, we'd like to have kids from the South, but every time we sign one, they'll last about a year. And then the first blizzard hits, or the first snowstorm mm-hmm. hits, and they pack up and go back home. He said, they're, they're, the northern coaches will say this. He said, there's got to be something pretty magical about the south because once we get those guys, they wind up going right back home.
1: Well, you can look so. at the kids on our team, Kelly, from Minnesota, and, and I think probably what happens, too, is they get down here, and they're practicing and playing more baseball than they've ever played in their lives, and so they stay busy. And they they stay involved. And uh, it'd be easy to get homesick if you're from Mississippi or Alabama and you're stuck up in Michigan and it's snowing five feet, you know, when when all your buddies are back home playing baseball in February.
3: They're very similar to, you know, hockey players that come down south. Can you name
0: one?
1: No, not really, no. <laughs>
0: exactly. No. Can you name one yes. program that has hockey in the, in no, the south? no. Actually, I can.
1: Who's that, Kelly?
3: North Alabama.
1: They have a hockey team.
3: They do, and they're very good. Really? North, yes. North Alabama is very good.
1: Who do they play?
3: They're, uh, I think they're what Division Two uh-huh. in, in hockey, and I think they play you know the, the team in, you know, in the Ohio Valley that have uh, hockey teams. But yeah, we'd have to research, and that's that's a, a Luke research item. Right. North Alabama. That's
0: uh, north of the Mason Dixon line,
1: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> isn't <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Luke.
3: Well, they were on our side. No, it's not. <laughs>
1: I think it's North Alabama there. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Uh, Kelly. You ever heard of field hockey? Back eons ago, yeah. when I was in high school in Virginia, we had girls field hockey. I can remember yeah. going and watching field hockey matches.
3: Actually, um, actually, my son and some of his buddies—they'll get playing, you know, field hockey, and they'll set up the nets and use regular hockey sticks, which mm-hmm. are difficult to find in the South. You know, you almost have to go online and get them shipped, but then, you know, play with a tennis ball. And uh, so they like the speed of ice hockey. But, of course, it's kind of difficult to keep ice down here, and skates are not readily available. Right. So, um, so they adapt field hockey. It's a great, you know, kind of a crossbreed of rugby and soccer. So it's, it's a great sport for kids to play, and I'm surprised that there haven't been, you know, any leagues or people trying to expose kids to that down here. That was
1: hockey big where you grew up, Kelly?
3: Yes. Yeah, it was.
1: So you're uh, a hockey yeah. fan?
3: Love hockey. Do you? Yeah, I love I love my yeah. hockey. And I hate when the Mississippi Gulf Coast, you know, the Jackson Bandits were in Jackson for a while in the East Coast Hockey League, and the the uh, Mississippi SeaWolves, and later the Mississippi Surge. Um, we'd make weekends out of it. You know, they'd have right. parties, Saturday night games and uh,
0: great times. Why they? Why do they throw octopuses on the ice? I
3: don't know. I, that that was in in one particular city, isn't it? Uh, Philadelphia, maybe. Um,
0: Detroit, I think.
3: Is it Detroit? Okay, I don't know.
1: Octopuses.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know.
1: Live. They throw live octopuses on the.
3: Yeah, it started. It started, I think, about ten years ago, during mm. a playoff game. That's that's all I can really remember about it. Right. I, I don't remember the specific. Uh, you know,
1: a sports trivia thing that Kelly didn't know the answer to, Luke. You need to write this down. Nice. I, I, I mean, I'm that's very... a lot more famous than the North Alabama hockey program. Correct. Who knew that but Kelly Santer?
3: Well, let me, I got something to, to, to back at that now. You realize if country singer, country <laughs> western singer Kitty Wells married country singer Conway Twitty, her name would be Kitty Twitty. <laughs>
0: Hey, guys, we we ran out of material today. We just ran out.
1: We need a game. We need a game to talk about, don't we,
0: guys?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just give us one game. We'll talk about it all week if we could just have one game.
3: If Ella Fitzgerald married Darth Vader, she'd be elevator.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Until tomorrow at 1 o'clock, Southern Miss. To the top.
0: 7-7 seven, 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 into
1: the future